All right, and we're back. We're we're talking with Greg White of Smith College, and we're talking about an, an article in June 2018 about wealth inequity at in the Atlantic Magazine, and where we had just left it, where I was pushing for a way of saying that my criticism of the whole article, although I really do want to just put a book note and say. I do think it's interesting that in a way that Lenin wanted to awaken the class consciousness of the proletariat, it seems that Stuart wants to awaken the class consciousness of the 9.9 and say, listen, wake up. You guys are in a class here. And I do agree with that tremendously. I feel that it's okay. It's even okay to be in the aristocracy. Like It's that I can live with. But if you are and you can't see that you are, I find that very frustrating, mm. right? Because that's mm-hmm. living in a state of hypocrisy, essentially. Mm-hmm. It may not even be your fault. There may have been so much language spread out that you've you, you been enabled to live that way. And I do think that is true. I also don't know that anyone's actually doing this, that this is more phenomenological than anything and might have to do with the tech, technology shifts and stuff that makes it everything seem new. But... If you're in mm-hmm. an aristocracy, I really think it's important. You can defend being in an aristocracy, and I think you can. I think you can say, you know what, we are in an aristocracy because we're really talented at what we do. And the mere fact that we can keep our wealth, well, that's our prerogative. And you come and get wealth from us. <laughs> you know, you come and take it from me, and then you can have it. There's a great quote by Joe Gallo, who was a mobster from the late 60s. And he said, any guy... Well, I, I, my, my first book was Poems for Gangsters. So when I was just 20 years old, that was my first book of poetry. He said, any guy who takes something and holds it, he owns it. You know, that is a very American idea. Like, it's mine. You come and take it away from me. I do not mind that. Because there's no doublespeak there. There's, there's a real honesty to, yeah, I'm in the aristocratic class. Um, you find a way to get it from me, even if it's violent, I suppose. But I think it, I think where he's coming from, from Stuart, I don't know if he's, you know, in Gallo's school of thought. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I think Stuart's perspective is that the aristocracy is um, is not acting in its own, ultimately not acting in its own yeah, self-interest. Yeah, but you know, it's like, because you know, it's a, why? Because, you know, a self-interest, quote-unquote, rightly understood, right? That's a Tocqueville, you know. Tocquevillian phrase, you know, the idea of, you know, you can be self-interested. That's all right. You know, countless moral codes, you know, philosophical systems can understand a self-interest, but it can't be a self-interest that's sort of so self-oriented that it neglects the needs of others and doesn't understand that you're, you're in a shared position with each other. So you have to support you have to be outward directed and this goes to That's the happiness question. a little question. soft speak. No, but it goes to the happiness question. Are you happy if you just get more? Like more, 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 more. You get, mm-hmm. you know, a six-figure tax cut, you know, two years ago. Does that, okay, is that buy you happiness? Does that make you better off? No. Well, then, then I mean, ultimately from Stuart's perspective, it doesn't. It makes the system more brittle, more unstable, um, and, and you're not more happy you're not more content right. you're just you're well, that actually really sowing sounding. the seeds you know you're, you're sowing the seeds of your own yeah. destruction you're sowing that the seeds that does sound like Lenin then yeah right that That's, is kind of like wake up you're in a class you're unhappy in this stop class stop taking so much stop t- stop stop uh, uh, you know consuming and absorbing and, and growing as quickly to the exp- at the expense of others because as he sh- you know as he puts out in these charts you know this this is a class that is benefiting from the fact that the 90% have very, very little. Very, very, very little. 
and it's not sustainable. It's not. It's not a system that's uh, that's that's you know built for the long term. But did anyone create this? Well, I think part of it is no. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a. I don't think that anyone. I don't think it's kind of like masterminded or conceived by an an individual, a group of individuals. We were talking earlier about that kind of sort of thinking. Thinking, I think it's much more structural. I think it emerges over time, over decades, perhaps inadvertently. It's the power of capital. It's the power of power of a rising empire. It's a power of empire. It's a. It's. There's all kinds of comp. You know, uh, contributing factors. You know that that sort of. It's not. It's not crafted by one set of individuals. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't think. But I think it's an important note because the argument here would be: if no one did this, then no one can particularly undo this either. <laughs> well, that if this is a force of nature, because I am of the school that our economies are so vast and complicated, and are almost just like nature itself, that we don't have actually much agency in. In how we direct our economy, not at the individual level, but that's where he goes to the, the answer is at the federal and the state and the local level. I mean, I'll just to read a paragraph, yeah. you know. Uh, Please. So, every year the federal government doles out tax expenditures through deductions for retirement savings worth 137 billion dollars in 2013. Employer-sponsored health plans, mortgage interest payments, and sweetest of all, income from watching the value of your home, stock portfolio, and private equity partnerships grow. In total, federal tax expenditures exceeded 900 billion dollars in 2013. That's more than the cost of Medicare, more than the cost of Medicaid, more than the cost of all other federal safety net programs put together. And, such is the beauty of the system, 51% of those handouts went to the top quintile of earners, and 39% went to the top decile. The best thing about this program of reverse taxation, is what he calls it, as far as the 9.9% is concerned, is that the bottom 90% haven't got a clue. The working classes get riled up when they see someone at the grocery store flipping out their food stamps to buy a T-bone. They have no idea that a nice family on the other side of town is walking away with $100,000 for flipping their house. So this is baked into policy that has been passed, in this case at the federal level, and you know it goes down to state and local as well, that benefits affluent well, strata. I think, so here's the argument. Here's the argument and that, that, can that be this changed. is... That can be improved. Okay, here's the argument for that system. Okay. Bearing in mind that I identified us both as Marxist earlier, and <laughs> so that gives me great range to now go all the way to the other side go for and it. do some Reaganomics. Why not? Which is the argument is that since we are the control room of empire now, and since we really are just amassing and um, managing wealth that's coming in, that these tax breaks and this amount of wealth, that really we're, uh, we are a service and consumer economy. And so you really do want to return as much wealth as possible to the people who shower it down upon the people below them and create an economy where there, there otherwise would not be one because uh-huh. we're not manufacturing anymore. Although we still are manufacturing giant. And it's important to, I think, put that note here. We talk about uh, vanishing manufacturing in America, but I think that even right this moment, although we're going to be overtaken soon, I still think we're the largest manufacturer in the world. Okay, so we'll, yeah, we'll not say the, that, but it's head, someone yeah. look it Definitively, up. Definitively, yeah. So, that's the argument for <clears throat> this. And you are in the control room of empire. Basically, all you have is, is gravy coming into the empire. And then, yeah, you want to return money to the 9.9% because you want them to hire the workmen who are going to mm-hmm. fix up the house. It's just a different economic system. No, and I get that. I mean, that's, that is the, you know, you're right. That's very Reagan era and, and, uh, and the idea that, you know, you cut taxes... 
and that by doing so, the 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 the, um, the owning class, the 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 jo- are the job creators, and that the economic activity, you know, that that then emerges from that will trickle down, you know, on the supply side into into the rest of the economy. It doesn't always work that way, though, and I think that's his point. That since that's been put in place in the '80s, it hasn't paid. It hasn't played out that way, and. Would that it would. I mean, it'd be ideal that it would, and that, you know, that's 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 you often see that argument made still to this day until the tax cut two years ago. That's exactly the argument, and it didn't play out. Doesn't so it was a work tax cut. because why? Uh, again, I'm not an economist, but we do know that the the tax cut that was passed two years ago was done in the name of stimulating, yeah, you know, stim- stimulating the economy and spurring production when it didn't really need it at the time. The, the economy was growing. Um, and jobs are being created in two, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018. You know, so you still did the tax cut, and it hasn't proved to really animate the economy anymore. It's just that people got a huge tax cut. This, this aristocracy got a huge tax cut. So let me ask you, is there a way... Because I feel like taxes are a go-to. I don't want to defend tax cuts. That's <clears throat> not my goal mm-hmm. in shifting the conversation for a minute. But I do understand why people don't like tax cuts because they fear that the federal government will be the last place where you want them to organize that money is they believe in the inefficiency of the federal government yeah. which is and it's far away at from least the has local some scene. historical precedent right. it's not an impossible thought right. is there a way that the society could be restructured in a way that would provide more mobility more engaging jobs that is not taxes can you imagine that the way of changing the economy that would not involve raising taxes, that would not involve reforming the tax the tax code. Yeah, I mean, there's other things that need to be done as well. Okay, I mean, I think so taxes let's talk are part about of that it. a little bit. Well, what would an, they be? The nature of the economy itself, the uh, the economic production. So, yeah. so much of it is devoted to um, defense. So much of it is devoted to you know, like the the aerospace and defense sector. Um, Do you really you want to lose that? Because that seems to me actually... It doesn't need to be larger than the next 25 countries combined. Unless it's actually providing some meaningful work in manufacturing, internal manufacturing, and It then sets the conditions for a lot of conflict around the world. Or the suppression of conflict. <laughs> if you believe that empire is... You know, that's one way to view empire, is that it's a causer of conflict. Another way to view empire is that it's the resolver of conflict. If conflict exists during a time of empire, that doesn't mean the empire is... That, it w- that the conflict wouldn't exist without empire or wouldn't be worse. Yeah, I don't know, That's man. the Pax Americana idea. I don't idea. know. I, You're not yeah, okay with it? Yeah, it is. But I, it's, that's, I don't know whether it worked when it was at its heyday, and I don't think it's working so well right now with rising, you know, other rising powers and, and certainly all kinds of instabilities around the world. But don't you want to suppress those other rising powers? No. Well, no, I mean, uh, no, I think multilateralism is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, mul- multiple... You know, uh, multiple powers. You know, if mm-hmm. you rather than a unipolar system, it's much better to have a multipolar system. You know, you like, think there's it, less violence in that way? Uh, there's definitely. I mean, in, when I think about classical sort of you know a systems of multipolarity, you know, like the 19th century Europe, yep. you know, with Russia, France, Prussia. Um, Austria-Hungary and England, you know, there was that, there was, there was, there was definitely violence. There was wars, you know, Crimea. There was all kinds of conflicts but no, going relatively, on, but relatively peaceable. This than, kind of than, Bismarck, than if, yeah. Bismarckian system, right? But, but I think so. I mean, back to your question about you know restructuring the economy. You know, 
Um, what about infrastructure? What about light rail? What about you know green technologies, so-called green technologies? What about turning toward that? It's not just taxation, but it'd be a way of reimagining an economy that, that wouldn't just be built on, um, I don't know. Bringing stuff into the country. Service, yeah, importing things and also service and casinos and just sort of like the kind of easy things that are done these days in the name of creating jobs um, that don't really, that are not sustainable economically and that accentuate this kind of wealth inequality. Well, I think that's good. I mean, at least, you know, the way you're articulating that, there's, at least you're talking about where the money would go. Yeah. Right, because just to change the tax code is would certainly not be enough because what, where, where would the money... I don't and even, what about education? Well, what about education? What about education? What about the education system? I mean, because a lot of I this article say, goes on the ways in which this aristocracy reaffirms and yeah. deepens educational well, inequality Well, it's interesting in, because in the, the, the other article I was thinking about having us look at, and we may in a future episode, is, is a critique which basically says education isn't really the issue. I do get how colleges and private schools are basically finishing schools. And he talks intelligently and interestingly about marriage, right? That basically that's part of the really sustaining aspect of the aristocracy is that they go to the same school. So the likelihood of marrying someone from that school or a school like that is just Mm -hmm. so high, Mm -hmm. which is a way of insulating wealth. I, I think that's really true. And that's my, by the way, why I one of the reasons why I really want my kids in public school to be honest with you is because I don't there are class implications to private schools that I'm yeah, not that comfortable yeah, I with I, I don't want my kids to be insulated now that actually goes to what you were talking about before about what he's saying which is this isn't actually good for you 9.9 percenters you may, may seem good to you although that really does sound like Lenin right wake up you think you're happy you're not happy this is a hard position to take where you're trying to shake somebody awake, and they're like, "I'm awake and I'm fine. Like I have no problem with my life." So I, you're saying you're saying the audience here, his audience. Let's imagine the Atlantic reader is you it's know, good chance that they're, they're in there or is close to there. And he even says that at the beginning yes. of the article. You know, you you may be reading you, know, you who are reading this article are likely in this in this group. Are you saying that his 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 argument to them is? wake up, this is not sustainable, and they're saying, yeah, we know it's not, it may not be sustainable, but for now, it's, it's damn fine. It's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then and it's, but, it's, but again, it's, 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 he's pointing to the, you know, Trumpism. You know, if it weren't Donald Trump, it would be somebody else who would come along and stir up you know, a, a faux populism, especially Donald Trump, of all people, you know, to, to be a populist. Well, um, you know, why, you Caesar know, was a populist. Would you say? Caesar was Caesar a populist. Was populist yeah. I think that it's not, again, it's not uncommon that, uh, that a wealthy person be okay. the populist leader. Right. Like, again, there's a, a lot a, of... But I think my, my take would be it's a faux populism. It's not really... It's why, a, why is it a faux populism, though? Let me challenge that. I'm not. I don't think. Of that. I think Donald Trump is not really that. I think it's a faux populism because I don't think he cares at all about the people that he's speaking to um, or his voters. That's more than I know. I really no. I That's just think he's not when he goes on about manufacturing mm-hmm. or he's you know criticizing immigration. I don't think he is really concerned about their well-being as a member of that 0.1%. Well, I think you can credibly bit, argue you know, he's, that he's any political right. leader like concern is enmeshed with their own rise to power and you know, this is complicated with him. I, I get what you where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I think you might need to divorce first of all, 
I don't know that we'll ever understand the mind of Donald Trump <laughs> right, totally. Right. Like, I think we can, we might just want to throw in the towel for that. We're going to be reading about him for the that. rest of our lives, but yes. you know, trying to understand. And trying to understand, and we just may never know. Right. Like, this is the general feeling I'm getting. I feel like Trump, it works on a kind of animal level. Intelligence mm. is a kind of animal intelligence politically. I don't know how conscious, I'm not sure how conscious anything is particularly. If you read that book, Fire and Fury, yeah, he comes off as someone who is really eager to please surprisingly like mm-hmm. an insecure it's it's not clear to me who he is mm-hmm. but we could look at his policies and and see if they're actually supporting actual populist desires and then that that might be more relevant in that case whether he well i, I guess no, it's relevant. so that's why i would still stand by you know when he campaigned in 2015 and 2016 he was appealing to an you know a portion of the electorate um, and voters with with calls and policies that I don't think he really, truly believed himself. It was just sort of a way of okay. But do you stirring think things up? And I think subsequently he's not delivered for a lot of his voters. Um, you know, you know. Again, the environment is not improving. You know, health you know, inequality is worsening. Healthcare, he campaign will fix the well, healthcare system. That's not cannot, changing. It's just in fairness' sake, cannot the the wealth inequality thing is a long train coming. But, but, I don't but, think but, any president is really. Yeah, but I'm but I'm still saying people are as they move toward, you know, 2018 and now 2020. Yeah, their their situation, their 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 circumstances have not improved, and I think that's why in recent months, you know, he's taken this turn to being you know, even more virulently anti-immigrant and 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 xenophobic. And that's 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 a time honored you know, he can't run on his, his record. He can't run on the good things he's done. So he has to blame Well you're the putting other, me in a very uncomfortable other. position here. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a hyper uncomfortable position. Fair you know, enough. because you're, you're asking right. me to push back. <laughs> you're not I'm saying not saying right. <laughs> but you're putting me in the in like a sweat inducing position of saying and I really saying, don't want to have calm to say down, this. Greg. You're saying calm down. No, no, Greg. I yeah. really don't want to have to say this because it really it it, it, it attacks me atomically on every <clears throat> level. Yeah, I know. And, you and can also, flash, flash disclaimers. Yeah, yeah, that the economy is actually extremely strong, and unemployment is not for very low. not for um, the not for this these well, lower deciles. Let's That's be the careful. Point. Not for the the. So if I'm the Trump, again, just. Do you say the Trump? If I if am I'm the, the Trump, Trump, yeah. Capital I would T, say, you know, and if I could use vocabulary like this, I would say that I'm not overturning something that's been going on for 40 years yet. But that doesn't mean because I haven't done that in the last two years that that's not the direction I'm going in. You're doubting whether he's an actual populist. I understand that you're doubting it. Yeah, um, I am. But I don't know. So it's actually a really interesting thing because in some ways that's right, that that's what that's a big part of the promise. It's a promise of populism and it's a promise to disenfranchise classes, lower middle class and working class people, that their wealth inequality will be addressed. It mm-hmm. happens to be also seemingly along racial lines as mm-hmm. well. And mm-hmm. this is a problem with American politics is that race is always a player. I don't mean it's a problem in the sense that... Um, it's a red herring. It's a real it's thing. It's a fact. It's a reality. But it's yeah. also the game that we've always played in the United States. And it's closely tied into. I'm pointing out the article um, to the <laughs> since I'm on the radio. I'm pointing out the article. This is at the you know a lot of the article points to the racial dimension to the yes. of this wealth inequality just, as well. You can't separate. It's also right. very real. Right. But it is interesting to look at 
that the Trump campaign is actually trying to address this article. Now, I think it's trying to address the campaign. I'm not saying him. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying what Mm -hmm. he's actually done. But the populist moment, the same way that Bernie might be addressing it for a different group of white people, probably, um, is trying to address wealth inequality. And I think if that's the case, we just have to proceed with caution before we dismiss everything out of hand. Did we answer the question about happiness? Well, you're the you're the genius. You're the resident <laughs> genius of happiness. Yeah, I've right. told you. I said in front of your wife yeah, yeah. that you were a happiness genius. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. why you're on the show. Utter, you're yeah, supposed to nuts. make us happy and show how you did it. <laughs> you know, it's not me. I am too quick to anger and too quickly to be frustrated. I don't yeah. pretend to be Mr. Happy, yeah, but you, you are. Don't, you don't know me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, I think you know th- that that happiness thing. Like, what would constitute happiness from his perspective, by by Stuart's perspective, within an arist- aristocratic class, would be uh, again a, a balanced, a more a better balanced system. I don't think he's advocating for equality, for wholesale redistribution, for e- you know sameness, equalization. I don't hear that here. And I, I don't think I'm there myself, too. I mean, I think there's something to be said for some, for some inequality, you know, in wealth or income. You know, remunerations maybe oh, different yeah. according to right. jobs or, you know, or, or, or work that's done. There's going to be, there's probably, it's even healthy to have some, some within Within, within reason, but this so kind of extreme... Yeah. Is you know it's again it's worsening it's calcifying it's you know it, it it it's there's no mobility within the class structure, and he's pointing to this as saying this is a real problem, and and it okay. explains a lot of contemporary politics whether it be so electoral politics the first in the United step, States. This is the first step for being happy. Di- is to actually recognize your situation for what it is, Diagnos- even if it's hard to hear. Diagnosing it correctly, even if it's hard yeah. to hear. For pa- us patient, to say, patient, you may not want to hear this diagnosis. But you actually will. But this is what it is. You, well, especially because you probably know this is true about yourself. You know, I'm going to tell you something very true about yourself. You're, this is what he's saying to the aristocrats? Yeah, I'm not saying it to you. I okay. can see that you're yeah. getting scared. <laughs> like you're talking to me? <laughs> no, I, mean, I, think that, I think that one small step to happiness is for us to come clean about something that we kind of know is true, but we haven't spoken yet. I actually think that's very liberating and calming and loose and softening for everybody. So I do think that if we're talking about ha- the road to happiness... I do think that the aristocratic class, of which I'm basically probably am part of, it's probably better to speak honestly and say, okay, I yeah. do see that this is kind of aristocratic. That would, and be, then, the, that would be the higher consciousness. That would be the true, con- you know, the, well, the better consciousness, honest. the awareness. It's just important. Right. I think that when Rather we... the false when consciousness. We, yes. When you have a false consciousness, you are suffering. And it's just honesty is just so much more important to, to me. And I, there's all kinds of false consciousnesses that I have. I, I accept that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that's at least a step on the road, not any, you. No, yeah. But then you can say, okay... Well, I am in an aristocratic class, and I have no problem with that. Or, I am, I can see where that's a problem, but there's no more doublespeak. That is, you can accept it. It's the same thing with, like, no blood for oil. It's like, well, we can, let's talk about that. Because if we're going to do that, let's just look at what, how that will impact everybody. And right. then, okay, now we, we can actually, I can accept that you feel that way, but let's just see what it would really look like and then move on it. And so if we're an aristocratic class... I do think it's really important to live 
honestly with it. I agree. And I also, and I know we're starting to run out of time, yeah. but I also want to say it's also a really valuable way of looking at problems within society. So even things like homelessness, you know, we didn't, you know, we haven't mentioned that word, you know, pr- 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 profound and changing dynamics of homelessness from, from Stuart's perspective, from this kind of article's perspective, this is a, this is a, a product of this growing inequality and this grow and, and the only way of solving homelessness, improving the situation is to, again, acknowledge it and to recognize that that's the, the actual circumstance and I think rather than blaming the homeless or rather than sort of, you know, vilifying them or, you know, yeah. d- d- saying um, that could never uh, happen to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is, this is the precarity that is really at the heart of the American economic system right now. Here's just a last monkey wrench, which is the last time you were on the show, we were talking about Sebastian Younger's tribe. And I uh-huh. think you could reasonably make the case that the 9.9% are the least, tr- they have the least kind of tribal connections, connections yeah. actually. And yeah. in that way, are really at, at a loss to really feel connected. They're atomized. They're, 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 they're atomized. Yeah, they're frequently shut from each other. Yeah. And that's not happy either. No, it is not, but we are happy because we are together here yeah, every we are. S- on Sunday at uh, 12 to 2. This is Barbarian in the Valley, and we're about to finish our second hour. And I just want to ask, as our custom is, what are, you, what are your plans for today or for the beginning part of the week, Greg? Oh, I, I stay cool. That's it, right? I mean, I don't know. Well, what else. listen, it's going to cool off tomorrow. So, yeah, that's true. once that ends, that heat. Yeah, I got nothing do? special. Just got back from vacation. Yeah. Um, so that was fun, and now it's. Uh, well, yeah. you plan for Morocco. Yeah, and then Morocco at the end of uh, the you know. And the end of August, fall. so you're yeah. going to have to gear up for that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go home, and guess what? Doing some laundry. Does that, yeah, sure. Do that's some right. laundry, I but the basement is relatively cut the lawn cool. Tomorrow. We have a. De- I actually cut the lawn today. Believe it or not. What? Yeah, that's that's it's what has to happen. Has to happen. And so um, we're so pleased to have you with us and want to remind you that we are podcasted all over the world and that barbarianinthevalley.com is your place for future readings or future everything. This is your Barbarian in Question and have a great, hot, sunny afternoon.